Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Welcome back to the second hour of The Interpreter Radio Show. This is sponsored by The Interpreter Foundation a nonprofit organization dedicated to the scriptures, doctrine, history, and practices of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can find us at interpreterfoundation.org. That's interpreterfoundation.org. I'm Bruce Webster. I'm here with my co-host, Robert Boylan. Okay, uh, moving to the next subject. One of the issues that uh, comes up periodically is, is when you have someone who takes a defiant or critical public stand against the church uh, and as a result ends up uh, having their membership called into question, having their membership suspended or even their uh, membership revoked. Uh, sometimes people turn around and say the church is intolerant. They should, shade, they should allow all these voices. Uh, this is a difficult situation and I, I know it's one that, that the church approaches gingerly uh, and contrary to to many beliefs and claims it really is something that's handled on a local ecclesiastical level uh, so we have we have the situation and the uh, the, the term uh, the church has, has basically moved away from the term excommunication uh, because it tends to have theological implications uh, of like, yeah, you're, you're damned forever. You're you know, cast into outer darkness and so on. Uh, I, have, I have friends who have gone through having their membership renewed or removed uh, and after a period of time had it reinstated. The, uh, <coughs> and it's worth noting uh, what the church itself has to say. This is from section 32 of the General Handbook of Instructions, which is available online for everyone to read. It's called Repentance in uh, Church Membership Councils, and section 32.2 says, what is the purpose? It says, restricting or withdrawing a person's membership is not intended to punish. Rather, these actions are sometimes necessary to help a person repent and experience a change of heart. They also give a person time to prepare spiritually to renew and keep his or her covenants again. Now, it's worth noting that when we are baptized, there are various covenants that we take upon us. Uh, they're not necessarily named in the baptismal covenant, but they're certainly mentioned both in the sacramental prayers and... Uh, in the scriptures themselves, such as in Mosiah 18. If we are members and we are not keeping those covenants and we are not actively seeking to repent and move to a position where we can keep them, uh, we are under greater condemnation. Uh, removal of church membership doesn't cast us into outer darkness. It puts us in a position to decide if we indeed want to maintain membership in the church, if we believe it is an actual source uh, of Christ's power, uh, if we don't, there is no purpose for keeping your membership. You, you do have those who say, well, I want to be, a, you know, my family's always been 
LDS, I want to be a you know, cultural Latter-day Saint. No, you can, you can go be a cultural something else, but if you want to be a Latter-day Saint, uh, that involves making the covenants that uh, you do at baptism and that you renew it with a sacrament. Uh, and these restrictions, as it points out, church membership restrictions are ecclesiastical not civil or criminal. They affect only a person standing in the church, and it, it cites DNC 134.10, which basically says we don't believe that religious organizations can in any way uh, affect a person's uh, actual physical or you know economic status. All we can do is withdraw our membership, and that's what the church does. The... Uh, <coughs> Now, there, there have been prominent individuals who it's, it's been very clear watching their course of actions uh, have wanted to set things up to get themselves, get their membership withdrawn, basically because it, it, it makes for a great press. You know, here I am, the smarter. Uh, I'm thinking of a particular individual who... Uh, went through a membership council, you know, with, with the stake presidency and the high council, all of which is confidential and the church never comments on, uh, but then held a press conference afterwards <laughs> to announce that uh, their, their church membership, had, they had been excommunicated and, you know, it was because they were bold enough to speak out on the subject and so on. Uh, the... Uh, <coughs> And at the risk, at, you know, for, for individuals such as that, God bless them. They're free to do what they want. They just can't do it as members of the church. And uh, to quote a, an old Arab proverb that Bruce R. McConkie used to like to quote, the dogs bark, but the caravan moves on. Uh, <laughs> Robert, your thoughts? Well, even presenting from, like, say, the ecclesiastical dimension, like, when it comes to any private institution of which the church is, there's, like, certain regulations or bylaws, if you will, its members are to abide by. I mean, like, if you were to become, say, a Freemason um, or, uh, uh, like, join a football club or whatever, there are certain ideas and assumptions about how you'll act and so forth that will be part and parcel of that private group membership. And the same when it comes to the church. I mean, as you said, like, when we're baptized, we covenant to like uh keep certain performances and so forth and in the same way like um e uh at least on the public level you should not be trying to like give the impression that the church is an apostasy or the church is an error on something fundamental you know of a true claim um so yeah i think uh, your reading of the uh church handbook of instruction was pretty uh, apropos there um and a lot of people kind of ignored this and kind of um one of the problems, like, say, a lot of uh, Jesus historians have, and this was commented by Ray Maris, is, like, when they're trying to recreate the historical Jesus, it's like they're looking down the well and they just see their reflection. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. when it comes to, like, a lot of these people who are not all activists, but many of these activists, when they look down the well uh, to look at the church, they're basically seeing the, their own self-reflection in terms of the politics and morals and ethics and so forth. It's, it's very similar to that. Keep talking for a second because I'm going to look something up here real quick. Yeah, sure. And <laughs> when it comes to, like... Um, when it comes to these particular issues, like having private disagreement um, is one thing. Like we will never always agree. And like if you read, like say what the presidents of the church have said, you know, they often do have disagreements with one another over certain topics. Uh, you know, this is, the, uh, this is the history of the church. But the real issue is like how one actually deals with these issues. 
and one should not be like a public activist, given the impression that the church is false, like some fundamentalists or some of the more uh, often liberal, but sometimes even in these recent days, like very conservative um, minded church members, like, you know, a certain end times figure in like, say, some of Joseph Smith's revelations, you know, that's been misinterpreted by the church and the church is in error or um, because the church now functionally holds like a certain Book of Mormon geography model in terms of say, its um, articles, you know, that means that the um, the godless intellectuals from like, say, be, uh, certain groups um, <laughs> have taken over. Uh, it's kind of conspiracy theories. And once you kind of cross that line and give the impression uh, that the upper echelons of the church are like in apostasy or like they're being deceived and the church is like in error, then that's where the uh, crap hits the fan and uh, action will have to be taken. Uh, yeah. this, is, this is something I wrote. I, I wanted to look this up. Uh, something I wrote almost 30 years ago. Uh, back when there was, I, and I forget what was going on at the time, but there was a lot of talk about you know community response to the church and putting pressure on the church to bring about change and so on and so on. Uh, and I basically said, you know, if 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 we have actual concerns, says what is critical in this process is that it should be done with the same confidentiality, sensitivity, understanding, patience, and forgiveness. In short, the same Christ-like behavior with which we would desire our own imperfections and errors to be handled. The Savior taught that if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's Matthew 18, 15. The Savior goes on to say that if that brings no result, we should inform the church, which I would interpret as meaning the appropriate divinely appointed stewards, not our circle of friends, the members of our ward, or the readership of Sunstone and Dialogue, not to mention the entire internet. We would probably be outraged, and rightly so, if we found that a church member, much less a church leader, was publicly criticizing our performance in our church duties. We'd even be upset over private criticism if it was shared with those not involved in the situation. Yet all too often, we feel little compunction and worse yet, a great deal of self-righteous satisfaction about doing the same, whether privately, over the net, in print, or even over the pulpit or lectern. Given the above, the idea of a community response to the statements, decisions, and actions of church leaders as, as appalling and inappropriate as would be a community response complete with private discussions and correspondence, newspaper ads, public lectures, and published articles as to how well any one of us is carrying out his or her stewardships within the church and within his or her family. It ignores the dignity of the individual and commandments towards charity, tolerance, and forgiveness and the channels which the Lord has set up to deal with these issues. I suspect the Lord will not justify us in such a course and that whatever the errors of those we criticize, upon us will remain a greater condemnation. Uh, the, uh, again, the, the, I, I think we, we, we tread on extremely thin ice uh, when we seek we seek to do this, do it publicly, do it, uh, and, and often do it with just such a significant misunderstanding. Again, you know, Robert and I have talked time and again about how many of the critics of the church fail to address 
actual facts and issues. Uh, uh, in fact, Robert, do you want to comment on the, the decision that you said just came down in, out of Arizona? Oh, yeah. Uh, when it comes to the very unfortunate Bisbee case in Arizona, um, it appears like uh, the church has been found not guilty of any um, criminal uh, abuse or any uh, misconduct. Yeah. Um, so it, no matter how you cut, like, it's a really tragic case no matter what. But, yeah, the church has been exonerated. Um, and on this, uh, Jennifer Roche's August 2023 fair presentation, which is now on YouTube, that's a good place to go. And also the B.H. Roberts uh, Foundation has all the relevant uh, legal documents and background information and, and an article that's been updated in light of the uh, recent decision as well. Yeah. But just like uh, on the issue of, like I say, excommunication and stuff like that, there's also like a uh, common caricature that the church is like very anti-intellectual or anti-scholarly because like some intellectuals have been excommunicated um, over the years. Uh, but it's really like unbelieving or atheistic assuming scholarship that gets you in hot trouble. Because again, if you're believing Latter-day Saints, you know, or like you're a Latter-day Saint a priori or from the get-go, you know, you can't really have these atheistic assumptions like, well, Joseph was a fraud. It can be explained purely naturalistically. Um, it's, it's like claiming to be a Christian and not believing in the resurrection of Christ, you know. I mean, that might there, work. There are actually a lot of those. But well, yes. yeah, that, that might work for the Episcopalian Church yes. in America, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, but be that's a me. Um, you know, like, so if you produce books, like, really call into question, like, say, not like traditional assumptions, like, say, how the book of Mormon was translated or where did it take place, but yeah, it's probably not, it, probably, Joseph probably fibbed, you know, and like, it's a 19th century text in toto and so forth. That will get you into hot water or claiming, like, you know, um, a lot of the, or like, going against, like, say, the very um, obvious teachings about the church when it comes to sexual morality and ethics, yeah. you know, um, or other issues as well, where you're clearly trying to deconstruct, like, not common misconceptions, but actually deconstruct the central true claims of the church. Uh, that's what will get you into hot water. It's not, like, say, anti-intellectual, because, like, you look at the church's history, like, Joseph Smith trying to learn Hebrew, B.H. Roberts, who I'm a huge fan of, or the Pratt Brothers, or any, um, in modern times as well, like, for a while when it was good, like Maxwell Institute was sponsored by the uh, church itself when it was good, uh, and so forth. And uh, the church is, or even the gospel topics essays, the church is not anti-intellectual, it's just like anti-atheistic or naturalistically, um, naturalistic assumptions informing scholarship and writing the books and so forth. Well, all you have to do is look at the uh, educational and professional backgrounds of the First Presidency and the members of Twelve. Uh, how many Ivy League PhDs we have in there, how many, uh, you know, college degrees we have in there, how many, uh, you know, absolutely outstanding professional resumes before they were called uh, into service. Uh, uh, I think I've mentioned before that I, I knew Garrett Gong back in college. We, we entered BYU at the same time. He actually lived on the same floor as me at the dorms. And, you know, he, he went on and was a, was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, <laughs> worked for the U.S. State Department, uh, was academic vice president at BYU before he, uh, he got called to the uh, 12. Uh, these are very experienced, very broadly traveled, and, and again, to the same point, uh, there is often an attempt to insinuate that the uh, leaders of the church are ensconced in Salt Lake in their citadels and uh, have no idea what the real world is like. Uh, and the truth is exactly the opposite. They are very broadly traveled, and frankly, in most of their travels, they are spending time in societies uh, and nations that are uh, 
far more diverse and disadvantaged than the U.S. Uh, they have more direct experience with uh, poverty, uh, with members who live in very modest situations, uh, with a vast range of cultures across the world, uh, and deal daily with the issues required to try and <coughs> uh, make sure that the church, the gospel, the central message of salvation, uh, is made available to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. Uh, the uh, and it's it's been, I think I think this in particular has been one of the principal focuses uh, of President Nelson's time as president of the church. There has been a great streamlining of the church and. A, a great focus elsewhere, but even before that, uh, back under President Monson, back I, when I lived in Colorado, we, one of the members of our high priest group was the church facilities representative for a uh, good portion of the area there in southeast uh, uh, portion of the Denver metropolitan area. And he was very clear that the church had basically set out a mandate saying we are spending less and less money on our facilities here in the U.S. because we need it for all our overseas facilities uh, to build them and maintain them. And so there were the budgets for maintenance of chapels within the U.S. Was, was being pared back as much as possible because the church was focused on serving the needs of the members outside of the U.S., which is where two-thirds of the membership of the church lives. Uh, so the... Uh, no, the church isn't anti-intellectual. All you have to do is look at things like the the book Saint, the Saints volumes, which which are frankly, I mean, they're not presented as scholarly history, but it is some of the best scholarship available to members of the church. And particularly if you have the online version, you can get to all the links and references. Joseph Smith Papers Project, the uh, Gospel Topics, essays. Richard Turley's two volumes on Mountain Meadows Massacre. Yeah, as well. yeah. Uh, the uh, I I I find that a cheap and lazy argument, uh, and particularly since it tends to come from people who, quite frankly, from the things they say or claim, seem to lack a real academic background in church history and doctrine. Uh, they haven't done much reading themselves. <laughs>